Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Prophet is on here. And I am the senior pastor of Life Path Apostolic Agape House of Prayer. My God, what a mighty God we serve. God is an awesome God, and he is worthy of all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Oh, my God, I bring you greetings from on high. God is so awesome. I thank God for all that he has done as we conclude the year of 2022. God is so mighty. He is so awesome. He is so righteous, and he is worthy of all the praise, all of the honor, and the glory. As I look over my life in 2022, and I think things over, I can truly say that I have been blessed. My God, I have a testimony. Today is December 15th, 2022, and we are in day three of our fast. And I just wanted to come on. I'm going to do a few instructional uh, recordings, I believe, around this time last year when we went on a fast or earlier last year, I think um, I did some instructional video um, uh, podcast and I'm just going to do a few more. But I just wanted to go over our year in review our year in review, God has been so good. He's been so good. Even when we dropped the ball, <laughs> God has been so good. I'm excited about what God is doing, uh, especially in the ministry, what God is doing in the ministry. It is not by chance. God orchestrates all of our steps. He orders our steps and he divinely, divinely sets our path. And so I'm not surprised that God has sent us on this journey to um, review the Bible chronologically. And when I tell you it has been a wonderful experience studying and digging into the word uh, with you all as we pursue God's plan uh, for our lives. We have seen God move expeditiously. We have seen his miracles, signs, and wonders follow us. Uh, We started out our year with uh, an occurrence that we did not expect. We did not expect the matriarch of our family. My mother transitioned uh, January 18th, January 18th, a day I would never, ever, ever forget. But God saw fit to transition her uh, into his glory, into his ultimate glory. And she is residing with him. And I thank God to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I'm so grateful that God loved her much more than we ever could. Because if it was up to me, (laughs) my God, she would still be here. And we know that that would be to fulfill my needs and my desires. Now she is in a place where there's no more suffering, no more crying, no more sorrow. A complete healing, complete joy. She knows God beyond the separation 
and the, the um, parting of her sin. She knows him. My God, what an awesome place to be. So I thank God for that. But that was how we started out our year. And we started, we set up our launch team and we started having our meetings and discussing and planning what we were going to do. We had some great momentum at the beginning of the year, but as we progressed in a year and everybody started getting busy and our priorities began to shift, we fell off a little bit. And the same thing with our prayer. We were praying every Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. and and we had Bible study. And I'm telling you, if I look back over those times when we were consistent, when we were accountable to what God has called us to, we saw some changes. We saw some miracles. We saw some prayers being answered. Amen. And even in the midst of our uh, failure to prioritize our uh, responsibilities for the kingdom, God still yet moved. (laughs) Oh my God, what a mighty God. I expect great things. I can recall in the year of 2019, God exposed to me that 2020 would be the year of laying of the foundation and the decade of 2020 through 2029 would be a, uh, a, a decade of foundation being set, being laid for future generations should Jesus delay his coming. Amen. We know that we know in part and we prophesy in part So therefore, God has not given us all or everything. But I know that I know that I know when I hear from God. Amen? All right, so we've been going through the chronological Bible and we've learned about uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? God took us through the Bible and he started us out... um, We learned about the creation. God brought us through and we learned about how in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the vegetation. He created the fowl in the sky and the fish in the ground and the the waters in the sea. He created everything thereof and therein. And God went on to create man. And we learned about Adam and Eve and their plight as they joined heaven on earth. We learned that God's original plan for man was to be in direct relationship with him. To have no barriers of separation. To be sin-free and live a life of what they had, which was true luxury. God never intended the state of being that we have experienced as humans today. But it was because of sin. And so we learned about the fall and how God's original plan 
from man was thwarted by the actions of Adam and Eve. We learned that during the time of the fall, the serpent deceived Eve as she was the one on the forefront forefront of the story. But we know that it was Adam who had the accountability. <laughs> we learned that seemingly Adam and Eve were together all times, at all times. But in that conversation that she was uh, having with, with Satan, with the serpent, was mono, mono, mono. They were talking one to another. Adam never said a thing. We learned that at the fall, no one wanted to take accountability for what had happened. That because God had instructed them that you can eat of every tree in the garden. Except for this, this tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. And we learned that when Satan deceived Eve, he used a partial truth but a full-blown deception. He manipulated and twisted God's words. But in response, we learned that Eve herself twisted the words of God because she she responded back to the enemy as he asked her the question. He said, surely you will not die. Yeah, he told you to not eat from this tree because he didn't want you to be like him. Ain't that just like a hater? Now, he done got kicked out of heaven because of his disobedience, his desire to be a God. He wanted to usurp the authority of God. And all of the things that he said, surely this would not happen. He was projecting onto Eve the desires of his very own heart. He wanted to be like God. And so as he deceived her by manipulating the truth, Eve responded back and said, well, he said, don't touch it. God never said it. Never said don't touch it. He said, do not eat. And so deception breeds deception. And as they began to broker this deal that was against the rules and the um, instruction of God, we found ourselves at the beginning of the end. The end of the relationship as God desired it to be with him and man because we learned about the fall of man. At the time of the fall, no one wanted to take responsibility or accountability. Uh, Eve blamed it on the serpent. The serpent, as you saw in his question, it blamed it on God. And ultimately, Adam Blame God 
for his behavior. He said, you gave me this wife. And so as God was giving them the consequences consequences of their actions, he had determined that the serpent would be cursed. Yet Adam and Eve would receive punishment. The reason that this is very important is because he chastens whom he loves. He disciplines whom he loves. There is a consequence for every action. And as a result, God punished Adam and Eve. And in that punishment, there's a misnomer that has grown throughout the body of Christ that we have stuck to for generations. And that is that the enemy received dominion that God had given to man. And we know that that is not so. Because God never took back the authority and the dominion that he gave Adam in the earth. As God gave the punishment, he cursed the serpent and told him that the seed of the woman will bruise his head and that he will bruise the heel of her seed. He told him that he will be the least of all of the animals. He said, I'm going to put you on your belly and you will be destroyed by the seed of the woman that you deceived. And so with Eve, the, 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 the punishment for her was quite profound because as a woman, we suffer it this very day. He said that when you bear children, you will go through pain and turmoil. And she and he and he told her, he said, and you will desire to rule over your husband, yet he will rule over you. You will you will have a, a love unquenchable love for your husband. Boy, oh boy, I tell you. We got that today. And then with Adam, he said, you must separate. You got to go. You must separate. But in his sovereignty, he found fit to have mercy. That while sin created immediate death, meaning separation of man from God, he allowed a blood sacrifice to reconcile man back to him, to cover man in his presence. 
And so out of their disobedience and their fear, because sin introduced fear in the hearts of Adam and Eve, and they wanted to cover up their nakedness that God would not see them in that vulnerable and naked state. That now, as they've been exposed to the knowledge of good and evil, they can see the filthiness of their existence and being. (laughs) We were born of the dirt. And so now that image became their reality and they wanted to cover it and they used the best thing that they could come up with, which were the leaves from the fig trees. And God said, but I can do you one better. You need to be covered under the blood. And I can only imagine that as Adam saw, because I, I in my Holy Ghost mind, everybody was all there together. And when he saw God slaughter the animal for his sake, animals that he walked with and We believe he talked with animals that became his friends and his first children, per se. When he saw them sacrificed, I can imagine the pain and the sorrow that Adam endured. Knowing that he was the cause of this effect. And so we learned about how God covered them through his mercy and his grace. We learned that God cannot turn against his own word nor his will. God is a loving God. He is a sovereign God. He is a God who makes provision for his children. But he is a God who cannot turn from his word. Amen. He is a God who is intentional. The structure of the world, the boundaries, the principles that he created, he is intentional. Nothing that God did was by happenstance. He created the world and he created man to tend to the world and to be a companion in the earth. So we learned about the fall and then we learned about Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. And we learned that Cain was so envious of his brother and his relationship with God that it prompted him at the time of a sacrifice to take the life of his brother. Cain and Abel having the same relationship or or not relationship, but, but having the same love from God. 
God loved them equally, having the same instruction and rearing from their parents. The parents raised them both the same. Adam and Eve taught their children how to interact and engage with God, how to worship Him, how to sacrifice to Him, because now that sin has been brought in, you must do something to recompense sin. And that was a blood sacrifice. And so they were raised in such a way that they knew how to make a sacrifice to God. And so Cain, who was a, a um, I'm going to say a farmer in our modern day time, he was a farmer. He tended to the, uh, the vegetation. He was a farmer. And Abel, we learn, he tended to his cattle and the animals. And so Cain decided that he would bring God the best of what he had, what he wanted to give to God because he did not trust that God knew better than him what to bring. He gave God what he wanted God to have, what his flesh and his ego wanted to present and to prepare for God. Look at the best of me. I'm going to give you the best of what I have. C, C, C. Making himself a God. Making himself a replacement for God's will and instruction. Where Abel, on the other hand, determined, he said, I'm going to do it like God says. I'm going to give God a piece of himself. I'm going to give him the best of the best of what he has given in this blood covenant. And so they both gave their sacrifice and God received Abel's and not Cain's. And so it's critical to understand in the story, it is crucial that the sibling rivalry that began was birthed out of disobedience. What began as a disobedient act festered into a monstrous action of taking the life of his brother. And so Cain took his brother's life and his God came and approached him and said, where's your brother? He had the mitigated gall to ask God, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> As if God did not know what had happened. And so we began to learn about the identity of who God is, his character, his persona, his personality, 
we begin to learn about the love that God has for mankind, the relationship that he's greater than a friend, more than a provider. And he's our all in all, our everything. We began to see just the way that he interacted with Adam and Eve. We learned, in essence, how it's going to be when we're reconciled back to him. That original state of how he walked with them and talked with them. How they didn't want for anything. They had no needs because their needs were provided for. He made provision in advance. He created an entire earth for man to dwell therein. It also taught us about the identity and nature of man and how we love God. There's something innate in us that causes us to love him. to want to please him, irrespective of our sin state. We also learned that sin introduced in one generation will progressively become worse as the generations continue. (laughs) So Cain decided that he would challenge and question God and get smart. We call it smart aleck. Instead of taking accountability for his actions. And so God said, you got to go. He said, you got to go. So Cain said, well, when they find out what I've done, when they find out what I've done, they're going to want to kill me. And God said, not on my watch. They better not put a hand on you. And if they do, I got something for them. So we learned about Cain and Abel. And we also learned that they had another son. And his name was Seth. And with Seth, Seth became the ancestor or direct line to Noah. And so we also learned, I'm so grateful that we were able to go to the Creation Museum, but we also learned that Cain's daughter married Seth's son through that generation. And so I forgot how many generations it was before Noah, but somewhere between. as that family was created. Cain's uh, wife, I mean Cain's daughter, married Seth's son, and they were the parents of Noah. And so then we learned about the flood. And how because the world became so evil, and not just that, the angels decided that they wanted to take the women as wives. 
humankind had turned their backs on God and just became so evil and to the point that God regretted or repented from creating mankind. And as an omniscient God, as an all-knowing God, did God make a mistake? Absolutely not. God created man to have free will. And when I say free will, it is that you have the ability to make a choice. Although there is no choice. (laughs) We think that we have a choice. There is only one option. But in God's sovereignty, he created man and he did not make a mistake. So he wiped humankind off of the face of the earth with the exception of this chosen one and his family. He instructed Noah on what to do and Noah did what God instructed him to do. And he brought his family and animals two by two. And they experienced the flood. They went into the flood. And what we learned about God's sovereignty is that he created an ark for them. Or he had them to create an ark. And in this ark, they were shielded and protected from the flood. And we learned that after they had all entered in, God sealed it. He shut the door behind them. There was nothing that uh, Noah could do in and of himself outside of being a man that was considered by God to be righteous. It was not by his power, not by his might that they were sealed in God's covenant, in his protection. We learn that the ark is a precursor to what's to come. As Jesus is our ark. He is that which we are embodied in, cocooned into his protection. And God sealed it. So after the fall, God gave uh, Noah instruction. And it was similar to that which he had given to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. He gave him authority and dominion over the earth. But it came with the responsibility that he would care for and tend to the earth as God instructed and desired for him to do. And and we learned so much about the identity of God and how he protects that which belongs to him. How God in his sovereignty and his love for not just mankind, but for the earth. He destroyed everything that he created in it. This was not an arbitrary uh, 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 spur of the moment, knee-jerk reaction to man's disobedience. 
This was a sovereign decision by a sovereign God. And so we learned about Saul and and his family and, and, you know, they were not what we would put up on the pedestal as the ideal example. (laughs) Noah, you know, liked to get a little tipsy. His sons liked to be inappropriate. And so we learned that Noah had not just a drinking problem, but an anger issue. Because he got so mad at his son for laying eyes on him and his drunkenness and not covering him, not protecting him, that he put a curse on him. And so we learned about uh, Abraham, who was a descendant of Noah. And we learned about the patriarchs, but as we were learning about the patriarchs, we learned about Job and his experience with God. And so the Bible represents two key parts or two key components. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so it's important to understand that the Old Testament bears witness to the history of the Israelites, the the chosen ones. From their creation out of nothing by God. God created them out of nothing to the deliverance from slavery in Egypt and their establishment as God's people. The Old Testament contains teachings about God and his ways and his ways as revealed by his chosen people, those who knew him, but they didn't just know him. They knew him as a God who chose them. I see that's, that's, it's different to get the story firsthand from those who belong. Yet at the heart of the Old Testament, there's a collection of of stories about the patriarchs, the biblical patriarchs. And and, and we're, we're taking our time. We're still walking through that. We're still learning about that. But I believe that God carefully placed these stories in the Bible so that we could better understand how he interoperates and how he relates to mankind. These stories tell us about how God chose faithful men from amongst his people to lead them and living according to his divine plan. We learned that these men, because they were men, were not Fallible like God. They were infallible, meaning that they were full of flaw. 
as we dig into the lifestyles and the stories of some of these men that we learned about, I wouldn't put them on a poster and say that they were the poster child or the representation of God's greatest fathers, God's greatest husbands, even some of the women, God's greatest wives. They were human like us. But what made them great in God's sight was their righteousness and their faithfulness towards God. The first of the patriarchs that we learned about was Abraham. And he was mentioned, he's, he's not just in the Old Testament, but he's also reflected as we continue our study in the New Testament. The New Testament puts a lot of emphasis on the life of Abraham because that is what teaches us about how God relates to man. And so God called Abram, remember, away from his homeland and his father's land. And he promised him a land of his own. He promised that he would bless him with many descendants to call his own. And as a result, Abram is now seen and considered as the father of faith. We call him the father of faith, demonstrating what it means to trust God and to live according to his will. We also learned about other important patriarchs in the Bible, such as Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Isaac, we learned, was the son of Abraham. And Isaac received a very similar promise as his father, Abraham, and the promise of having many descendants. Jacob is Isaac's son, and he's the father, remember, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he received the blessing from God that Abraham and Isaac received before him. And so very recently, as we uh, uh, had our last Bible studies, we learned about Joseph, who was Jacob's son. And we learned about how Joseph's faith sustained him when he suffered incredible uh, uh, conditions (laughs) in his lifetime. Remember, his own brothers sold him into slavery and God turned what the enemy meant for evil to his good because eventually he was sold into slavery, but he was made a ruler of the place that he was a slave to, a foreign nation. He became the ruler of Egypt. In this story, I 
got a revelation as I watched how Jacob ruled. I mean, Joseph, how Joseph ruled and his wisdom, which created wealth for Egypt during a time of famine. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And with that, he used his gifts and his talents to make room for him. And those gifts and those talents caused him to be appointed as ruler and given authority. But the one thing that stuck out in my mind is that Jacob's motto I mean, Joseph's model created the need for indentured servants or slaves because he pushed them into a corner where they would always, and when I say them, those outside of Egypt because they were in a famine and, and, and they had all of the resources. And so they bartered them out They sold them out, and eventually, when the surrounding tribes needed and they didn't have anything else to barter, then they sold their time. They sold their uh, physical effort, thus creating the indentured servant. And so this is important because when we get into the story of Moses and how he had to release his people, we learn that this model that was built or perpetuated because it already existed, they always had the relationship between the slave and the servant. I mean, um, the servant and the uh, master. But in my opinion, Joseph perfected it. And so in these stories about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and, and Joseph, God demonstrates his faithfulness to his chosen people. And he reminds us of his deep love for all people. As a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know that these stories of the patriarchs have been passed down throughout generations, inspiring and teaching people about how to trust God, even in the midst of our most difficult situations and circumstances. I admonished us when we started this journey to see them as our relatives as we are the direct physical descendants with their DNA flowing through our body of the chosen ones. And so you would say, prophetess, well, we're all related. Because if you go back to Adam and Eve, we all come from from one man and one woman. Yet throughout time, God separated a group of people and set them apart. 
And I believe that they were our ancestors. The Bible introduces us to these patriarchs and it helps us to understand the importance of their role. As we continue through our journey uh, through the Old Testament, I pray, I pray that we can receive. God is so awesome. He's so mighty. He's a great God. And like I said, it's not by chance that he has taken us this way. A lot of times we skip over the foundation of learning. And as I said, as we started this journey, there's so much biblical illiteracy in the church. We take what we hear from others' interpretation and understanding. And I am a, I, I'm a true believer that we need interpretation from God's chosen, meaning our pastors, our bishops, our ministers, our evangelists. God will expose things. But inasmuch as that is true, we also have an obligation and a responsibility to get to know God for ourselves. I didn't talk much about the women that we learned about through the Bible. I didn't talk much about Eve and how she is the mother of all creation. How her nurturing and her love and just imagining how she had to endure knowing that one son had taken the life of the other. I didn't talk about um, Noah's wife who we learned uh, not much about. And now that I say that, I think I may have said it wrong because Noah was a descendant of Seth and his wife, his wife was a descendant of uh, Cain. So forgive me for mixing that up. But Noah was a descendant of Seth, and his wife was a descendant of Cain. And so that's how we came to realize that God don't leave no leftovers. He he used everything. Where at least in my walk, I always thought that Cain's generation had died out. But we learned that it did not that they were carried on to the ark through his wife. And so it has been a wonderful, wonderful experience learning God's word, getting into his word. Getting that foundation laid, knowing that we are the direct descendants of the promise that God made. That God doesn't change. He 
he's still the same. And while there are some things that we don't observe today because we are under the covenant of grace, we are in the dispensation of God's grace. So some of the more rigid um, instruction, and we're going to get into that when we get into Exodus, that were passed down to the children of Israel. We don't adhere to those things, but they were intended to be a reflection or a mirror of who God wanted us to be. But because of the grace of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to maintain many of those rituals and the need to secure our own salvation. So I'm grateful to God for all that he has done for us in this year. That we know that we can employ the same relationship that God had that was established with Adam and Eve in the beginning because our Lord and Savior came. And that separation that was there was dissolved. And we have direct contact with Jesus. And we have direct contact through Jesus with God. (coughs) God orchestrated a plan to redeem mankind. And that was through his son, Christ Jesus. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that because Jesus had come and was sent by the Father, that if it wasn't true, he would have let us know. And because he believed in the Word of God, we believe in the Word of God. Because he believed in God's love and sovereignty, we believe in God's love and sovereignty. When I think about the similarities throughout the Bible and how as we go through the stories, we see a recurrence of events, incidents, just replaying themselves one generation to the next. I think about my own life and the similarities between my grandmother's life experience to my mother, to my life experience to my daughters. How I see patterns and similarities, and some of us would call them generational curses. Some of us, (laughs) start with me. Breaking those patterns that God does not desire for our lives, but we experience. And so when I think about how they have those similarities embedded in these stories, it just makes it that much real. Because as humans, we are human, we are fallible, we are are, uh, 
flawed. And we repeat the same thing over and over. But what a God we serve. He's a redeemer. He's a redeemer. (laughs) One of the stories that stick out in my mind is just the favoritism that, that a father had over his sons. So we start out with God's favor over man, over all of his creation. He favored man above the angels, above the animals, above above the vegetation, above all things. He favored man. And so we get to Abraham. As Abram, God gave them a promise, but yet they decided, hey, we're going to take things in our matters in our own hands and caused this thing to happen. And so we learned of a father who favored his son, Isaac, over Ishmael. And what problems that brought. And we get into Isaac and his sons and how he favored Jacob over Esau. And yeah, And we know the story of Jacob or Israel and his son Joseph, who he favored over the twelve. God is a good God. He's not a God to be mocked. He's a God who is all-knowing And he's giving us these examples. Can you believe I intended to come on here for 15 minutes? (laughs) And here we are, an hour deep. Amen. All right. Well, I pray that this was a blessing to you. But I need to get into the instruction for the fasting. I pray that you participate. Amen.